Then the Lord said to me, who is the me? It is Jeremiah. Uh, There's a dialogue in the chapter. God will speak. Jeremiah responds. God comments. Jeremiah reacts. God responds again. You'll see a give and take. It's a dialogue with God. Do you have one? You could. Uh, He's transcendent, unseen, and unreachable, but made himself, didn't he, accessible through Jesus the Son. That means if you're a Christian... You can dialogue with God about good things, about challenging things. I hope you have a regular dialogue with God, as you'll see Jeremiah did. Then the Lord said to me, even though Moses and Samuel were to stand before me, my heart would not be with this people. Who who are the, the people referred to here? Yes, the Jewish people, the Israelites. Send them away from my presence and let them go. God is saying, Jeremiah, stop interceding for them. Isn't that an interesting and rather surprising thing to hear and find from God? God is saying, Jeremiah, enough. Uh, Jeremiah, I've not ceased to be gracious except... Grace, which has kept the door open, uh, need not be open any longer, for I perceive they will not walk through it. So when that happens, there's only room for the wrath of God. I know it's a little distasteful and unattractive. We sometimes don't want to think of God that way, but I'm afraid we have to take the totality of Scripture. Uh, He's holy. And there is the outpouring of his wrath or the outpouring of his grace. You have to choose. So, so, so God says, Jeremiah, stop praying for them. In fact, Jeremiah, if two of your people's most prominent intercessors, Moses and Samuel, even if they were to stand in the gap for them, Israel, I would not listen. To intercede is to stand in the gap between two warring parties. Jesus intercedes for us, does he not? Stands before us sinful people and God, a holy God, the grand intercessor. But we could perform that ministry as well. And Moses did on one occasion. Israel rebelled. God said, maybe I'll uh, uh, destroy them and raise up a new people through you, Moses. Moses said, no, don't do it. Uh, They surely deserve that. But don't do it because it will detract from your glory. And so God relented. Samuel did something similar. And so they're premier intercessors on behalf of wayward Israel. But God said, Jeremiah, forget it. Even if it were Moses and Samuel who stood in the gap, who interceded on their behalf, too bad. Jeremiah, you could push me too far. That's what he says. Can I ask you a question? Do you think there could come a day in our land when God's response will be similar? You think we're there, brother, close? There there could be a time. Could be a time. Yeah, 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 yeah. So it goes on. And it shall be that when they say to you, where should we go? You are to tell them, thus says the Lord. And now God says there's only four options for Israel at this time. Neither one is attractive. Here they are. Those destined for death to death. I think you'll see in the context this sort of means death by illness or plague, 
and those destined for the sword to the sword. Uh, that's death by, I, I think, perhaps military conquest. Those destined for famine, for famine, economic downturn leading to starvation. And those destined for captivity to captivity, three options lead to death. One, subjugation. In this case, by what people from the north? Babylon. That's the immediate context, the Babylonians. I will appoint over them four kinds of doom, declares the Lord, the sword to slay, the dogs to drag off, the birds of the sky and the beasts of the earth to devour and destroy. Folks, ancient Israel had passed the point of no return. It could happen. And they particularly passed the point of no return during the reign of one of her kings named Manasseh. Manasseh was the most evil of Israel's kings. Uh, you could read about his uh, degradation and idolatry in Second Kings. And so the next verse mentions him. I will make them an object of horror among all the kingdoms of the earth because of Manasseh, the son of Hezekiah, king of Judah, for what he did in Jerusalem. Interesting, Hezekiah was a godly man. The son was not. I wish there was an automatic connection between being a godly parent and having a godly child. There isn't. Don't misunderstand. A child raised in a godly home has a wonderful opportunity to walk with the Lord Jesus, but it is not a guarantee. Does God have rebellious children? Tell me how his parenting is flawed. See, he built into the system free moral agency. God's kids choose. Our kids and grandkids choose. Oftentimes the choices are not good. I offer this to you because uh, it could be that you're in part responsible for a wayward child. I mean, if there's been an inconsistent life lived before them, if you haven't represented the values of the Lord Jesus very well, of course it affects your kids. And, uh, so I don't want to minimize our responsibility and influence unduly. And yet sometimes we've done the best we could and they still go astray. Can you get over guilt, please? It's not helping. I mean, you can say, where did we go wrong? And you're going to find all kinds of things because nobody here is a perfect parent or grandparent. But I, as I read the Bible, I don't think God's on the hunt for perfect parents. He, he's on the hunt for dependent parents. Depend on him. Let your kids know you need him. And then they're going to make choices and we're not in control. So in this case, Hezekiah's son Manasseh turned out to be the most evil. He ruled for 55 years, 55 years of idolatrous influence in Israel. Oh, my goodness. Sometimes we lament over the term of office, let's say, of a president, maybe who doesn't have your favor. I don't know. We all have our different points of view. Sometimes there's a person in office and, and uh, you say, oh, my goodness, a four-year term. Oh, he might be e elected to a second term, four plus Four is eight. Hey, 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 hey. How about 55 years? Relax. Could be worse. 55 years. Is God judging Israel because of Manasseh? No. God is judging Israel because she complied with Manasseh, supported Manasseh, embraced Manasseh. No. Leaders have responsibility and influence for sure. But the nation is not being judged because they were so pure and the leader was impure. No, no, no. They supported Manasseh, his evil idolatry. 
And so it says in verse 5, Indeed, who will have pity on you, O Jerusalem? Oh, listen. The answer is God. In fact, probably only God. Probably the only one who has consistently had pity on Jerusalem, on Jerusalem, on the Jewish people through history, has been the God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. Probably the only one. And how did my people respond to him? By. Wow. What a rejection message to the one who has pity on you. So since then, historically, who has had pity on Israel? It's an interesting uh, alignment of nations today, once again, in disproportionate imbalance against Israel. Is Iran her friend? Is Russia? Will the United Nations have pity on her? Will the United States? Hmm. Interesting. Interesting, interesting, interesting. So ironic. The one who embraced her as his own people group, tribe, covenant people, and all the rest has been rejected by her. What is this all about? I think it's about us singing amazing grace and believing the words. The only explanation for God's attitude towards Israel is amazing grace. That's good to know because that's his attitude towards the rest of us too. Next time you doubt God's posture towards you, please think of Jewish people. Why are we not snuffed out? Amazing grace. So it goes on here. Who will have pity on you, Jerusalem? Who will mourn for you? Who will turn aside to ask about your welfare? You have forsaken me, declares the Lord. You keep going backwards, so I'll stretch out my hand against you and destroy you. I'm tired of relenting. Tired of relenting. You ever get to the point where you just get fed up? You had enough and you tell someone that? You say, that's it. Now for you, for me, when we do that, it could be because we had a bad night's sleep. We're moody, emotions are doing flip-flop. It isn't quite like that with God. God didn't get up on the wrong side of the bed on this day and say, I've had enough with relenting. My heavens, he's had a track record of sending prophets and messages and miracles and all the rest to soften Israel's heart. There comes a certain point when the door to repentance is closed. That's essentially what he's saying. Verse 7, I will winnow them with a winnowing fork at the gates of the land. I will bereave them of children. I'll destroy my people. I'll destroy my people. I ask you this. Is it a complete destruction of Jewish people? It can't be. Look up here, please. (laughs) Very important to know this. We're going to find this phrase qualified as we go through Jeremiah. It is a destruction for sure. It's huge for sure. It's deserved for sure. But it is not complete. Romans 11.11, Paul says, I say then, have they, the Jews, stumbled so as to fall? Then he answers his own question, may it never be. But by their transgression... Salvation has come to the Gentiles. Why? To make them jealous. Now, if God still wants to arouse Jewish people to repentance and salvation, that tells me he hasn't given up on Jewish people. You know why that's good news for you? If he gives up on the Jews, when is he going to give up on you? 
You're not so hot. <laughs> Amazing grace. See? So anyway, I will destroy you. I'm tired of relenting. Uh, so on. Verse 8. Their widows will be more numerous before me than the sand of the seas. I'll bring against them against the mother of a young man, a destroyer at noonday, I will suddenly bring down on her anguish and dismay. Please, I don't take this lightly. I wish it was a different message. It's rather distasteful, but it's in the Bible. We have to sort of cover it, don't we? It's an attribute of God. We have to worship him in light of his, the totality of his perfections. Grace is one of his perfections. Mercy is one of his perfections. Goodness is one of his perfections. An intense holiness is one of his perfections. He must pour out his wrath upon that which is unholy. Verse 9, she who bore seven sons needs a break. I kind of add that a little bit. Think about it. You know, in that day in ancient Israel, to be childless was not a good thing. Uh, To have a child is a good thing. If the child was a daughter, okay. But if the child was a son in that day, oh, major cool thing. If you have a girl, you keep her. What are you going to do? Make the best of it. But if you have a son, whoa, in ancient Israel, what if you have seven sons? Seven is the biblical number of completion, fullness. It means this lady is filled to overflow with satisfaction, contentment, seven sons to provide for you, to protect you. Here's a lady who could be calm, be composed, be at ease, be at peace, be free of worry and trouble and all the rest. And yet, she who bore seven sons pines away. Her breathing is labored. Her sun has set while it was yet day. She has been shamed and humiliated. So I will give over their survivors to the sword before their enemies. You could have seven sons. They won't be able to protect you from the Babylonian onslaught coming from the north as a manifestation of the outpouring of my holy wrath upon you. It's a bit of a metaphor, maybe for the whole nation. A nation can become self-sufficient, self-satisfied. A nation can think, I have a strong military, I'm wealthy, I have all these resources, I'm fine. God says, no. Nobody, nothing can stand before the outpouring of my wrath. Sometimes our leaders, religious, political, I don't know, maybe with good intention, maybe not so good. I don't know. Sometimes they would persuade us, peace, peace, everything's fine. Prosperity on the way, everything, really? We're going to, we could fix, we could straight, we, boom, 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 boom. God says, even if you have completeness of natural resources and other resources, I mean, all the, the strongest military on earth, when it comes time for judgment, even the one most self-satisfied will find personal national resources are not enough to dissuade me from the outpouring of holy wrath. It's not a popular message, is it? Can I ask you a question? What if God spoke to you and said, I choose you to deliver it? That's a rough one. What if God said, 
you're my messenger. Here's my message. You have no discretion over the message. If I chose you to be my messenger, you must preach my message. How'd you like to preach? Yee. That's a tough message. Was Jeremiah a machine? He was a man. Flesh, blood. Did he have emotions? Oh, yeah, you're going to see them. Here it is, verse 10. Remember I said dialogue? God spoke in the first nine verses. Now Jeremiah explodes. (laughs) Woe to me, my mother, that you have borne me. You know what he's saying? I shouldn't have been born. I wish I was dead. Could I say this of one of the most prominent writers of the Bible? Yeah, he's a human. Is he depressed? Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. When you're depressed, you want to die. Did he want to die? Oh, yeah. Didn't want to be born. Woe to me, my mother, that you have borne me as a man of strife and a man of contention to all the land. When you're depressed, everyone is against you. Nobody understands you. It's just you. I'm grateful for the honesty of the Bible. Gives me permission to feel. Jeremiah, look what he's saying here. Know what he says? I haven't lent, nor have men lent money to me, yet everyone curses me. What's he saying? Do you know when you're involved in financial transactions with people close to you, there's potential for disagreement and misunderstanding? So if you lend money, there's potential for misunderstanding. If you borrow money, there's potential for misunderstanding. Jeremiah said, but, 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 but I didn't, I neither lent to anyone nor did I ask anyone to lend to me. Why all this contention? See what he's, I mean, there's this outpouring of emotion. Oh my goodness. Recorded down to this very day in the Bible. It's honest, isn't it? So God's going to respond. That was Jeremiah verse 10. The dialogue continues. Here's what God says, verse 11. The Lord said, surely I will set you free for purposes of good. You know what he's saying? Jeremiah, you are so affected by the news. You're taking your cues from television reporters and newspapers and circumstances. It's not that you should deny that. But that's not the ultimate reality. You are so consumed by all that is bad. But Jeremiah, I can free you up. I can extricate you from the reality of life's circumstances for purposes of good. Jeremiah, I am good and I am great. You're shaky and unsettled, but I'm not. See what he's saying? He says, surely I will cause the enemy to make supplication to you in a time of disaster, in a time of distress. And now God asks the rhetorical question, can anyone smash iron? Could you with your bare hands, I ask you this question, can you smash iron with your bare hands? Thank you for being honest. No, you can't. Can anyone smash iron, iron from the north? Who's that a reference to? Babylon or bronze. You know what he's saying, Jeremiah? I'm going to do this. This is going to befall your nation. This is my plan. It is coming. Then he said, it goes on, verse 13, your wealth and your treasures, Israel's, I will give for booty without cost, even for all your sins and within all your borders. 
Then I will cause your enemies to bring it into a land you do not know. For a fire has been kindled in my anger. It will burn upon you. You who know, O Lord. Now look, verse 15, the dialogue switches to Jeremiah. God spoke, Jeremiah reacted. God responded. Now Jeremiah, verse 15, look what he says. You who know, O Lord, remember me. Take notice of me. So Jeremiah is helping God out. God has a full schedule. There's a lot on his plate. There's so much for him to do. I mean, he's got to take care of the world's business. So Jeremiah, I'm sure, is just trying to help God out. So he's waving to God. Hey, God, you who know, remember me. Take notice of me. Hey, God, here I am. So, so Jeremiah thinks he has to give knowledge to the all-knowing God. A little offensive, a little insulting. It gets worse. Look, it's one thing to pour your heart out before God. Please don't misunderstand. It's one thing to tell him how your heart hurts and is broken. It's another thing to kind of reframe his personhood. You supposed to know everything. Have you forgotten me? I don't know. This might be crossing the line a little bit. This may be disrespect. So he says, take notice of me and take vengeance for me on my persecutors. Do not, in view of your patience, take me away. That's sarcasm. Here's what he's saying. God, you pride yourself on being patient, forbearing, long-suffering. You write about it. I read about it. You keep telling me you're patient. I praise you for it. It's very cool. I'm glad you're patient. But God, it's getting out of balance. You're so patient. You're waiting too long to deal with the people who are giving me a hard time. Don't let your patience cause you to wait so long. These people are beating up on me. Do you know that, God? Are you, do you see me? Patience is You're out of balance in your patience, God. Let me help you. Let me bring it into balance. That's what he's saying. I'm not so sure that's a good thing to do. So that's what he's saying. And and, and, and he goes on here. Um, Verse 15, do not, in view of your patience, take me away. Know that for your sake, uh, I endure reproach. God, let me remind you of something. I could have chosen a different vocation. I could have sold insurance. I could have been an accountant. I could have moved to Hawaii. I'm doing this Israel thing for you. I'm sticking around here. For you. I'm going through all this for you. This is the pay I get? You see what's going on there? You can talk to God. You can be honest. You can share your broken heart. You can say, God, I don't understand your ways. But when you challenge his integrity, that's dangerous. When you question his motives, I don't. when you call him to task, it's one thing to say, God, I hurt. God, I'm broken. God, sometimes I don't want to wake up the next day. I'm sorry. I need help. It's okay to do that. It's not okay to explain your travail on the basis of some uh, flaw in God's character. Don't do that. It's just you who don't understand all things. Of course. Don't try to explain what you don't understand by reframing who God is. See, that would be called uh, 
blasphemy. That's not good. So Jeremiah goes on. Uh, verse 17, I, I didn't sit in the circle of merrymakers. I'm not having a good time. I'm not partying. I'm not celebrating. I didn't exult. Because of your hand upon me, I sat alone, for you filled me with indignation. You make me look like a loner, like an outcast, I, a misfit. I don't fit in. Everyone's partying. The world is having a great time. I'm sitting home alone on Saturday night. See what he's saying to God? Ooh. Rough. Verse 18. Why has my pain been perpetual and my wound incurable? See, that's the language of emotion, isn't it? When you're hurt, when you're depressed, there's something. You don't think it's ever going to go away. You start falling below the line of despair. The fact is, it has gone away before. It may come back again. I don't know. Moods do this kind of thing. But, it, but, but God does bring times of refreshing, doesn't he? I don't know. It's perpetual. It's not going to go away. Will you indeed, look at this, will you indeed be to me like a deceptive stream with water that is unreliable? Oh, my. So here's what he's saying. You know, God, I heard you say, uh, if I believe in you, springs of living water will well up in me. I wonder if you lied. I wonder if that water thing is a deception. I wonder if it's a deceptive stream of water that you are. It's a Middle Eastern kind of analogy. If you go to the Middle East, you th see things that are called wadis. A wadi is like a through flow of water. Uh, the ground, the surface of the ground is dug out a little bit, and it's a little bit of a valley on the surface. And when, during times of heavy rains, um, the water will flow from an elevated area and fill the wadis. Now, if you're a, a nomadic person and you're, you have flocks to nourish, you go to the wadi for the flocks, for your family. You move from place to place. Oh, here's a water source. And there's been a bit of rain. Oh, you're expecting the wadi to be filled with good water. And you go, and it's dried up and barren. That's what Jeremiah is saying. Are you like that, God? Have you raised in me the expectation of a wellspring, uh, the water of life, when in fact you're deceptive? You know what he's saying? You made promises to me. Did you lie? That's kind of serious, don't you think? Want to see what God says? Verse 19. Therefore, thus says the Lord, if you return, I will restore you. Whoa. Forget about Israel. Forget about the nations of the world. My fellow Christians, forget about the world situation. Where are you and me with God? If you return, you know what the word is? Repent. As unto salvation? No. You turn to Jesus as Savior, it's a done deal. But even the saved person has a lot to repent of. Stinking thinking. Bad attitudes. God is saying, stop. Jeremiah, take the initiative. Change. And if you do this, I will enter in and restore you. Everywhere in the Bible where you see a loving rebuke from God, you see an affirmation of his supply. Those whom I love, I reprove and discipline. Be zealous, therefore, and repent. 
Jeremiah, if you repent from this crazy thinking, Jeremiah, here's what you're trying to do. You see a discrepancy between my word and the world, and you're trying to bridge the gap by reshaping me. No. Repent of that. Jeremiah, say this. God, you say you're good. You say you're just. You say you're loving. You say you're gracious. Oh, God, sometimes I don't see how that squares with what's going on. God, that's because I'm so limited. I'm such a child. I'm so infantile in my understanding. I'm so finite. You are so infinite. Oh, God, I don't understand your ways, but I trust you. Do that, Jeremiah. Stay with the confusion. Let it lead you to confidence in me. Don't try to resolve it by a new theology. I won't permit that. So he says, Jeremiah, change your way. Before me, if you do this, before me, you will stand. And if you extract, look at this, the precious from the worthless, you will be my spokesman. Jeremiah, make a distinction between precious words and worthless words, between precious thoughts and worthless thoughts. If you an ordained messenger of mine, do not manage your thinking and your words rightly. You cannot represent me. Jeremiah, what in your thinking is preciously true? Stick to it. What in your words is preciously true? Stick to it. What in your thinking and in your words is worthless? Get rid of it. How can I have you stand before me as my messenger if you misrepresent me? See what he's saying? You know what the implication is? Jeremiah could forfeit his ministry. I didn't say his salvation. He could forfeit his ministry. This is a wake-up call to those in full-time Christian service, but who here isn't? When you get saved, you're called to serve. Everyone here is a minister. Everyone. I just get a chance to do it on a full-time basis because I have no practical skills in life. (laughs) But everyone is a minister. We all represent the Lord Jesus. You never forfeit his love, his concern, his care, his deliverance. But you could forfeit the privilege of having a platform by which you serve God. A platform of ministry. You could do it. He can't call someone, give them a spiritual gifting. And have them reframe theology and misrepresent him. Jeremiah's on the risk. A great prophet, a writer of two books of the Bible, Jeremiah and Lamentations. He's the weeping prophet. Nothing wrong with weeping. You can cry. Jesus wept. You could do that. You could do it. But don't try to explain life by minimizing truth about me. Don't detract from my personhood. He says, if you distinguish the precious from the worthless, you'll become my spokesman. Now look, they, for their part, may turn to you. But as for you, you must not turn to them. Wow. You know what he's saying? Jeremiah, I saved you, embraced you, equipped you, anointed you, supplied you to be salt and light, to influence them. And you're letting them influence you. Some may come to you because they... See you representing me well. But at present, you're on the risk of being more influenced by them than they are by you.
danger for us today, my fellow Christians. Things are not going as we would like. And so we are becoming increasingly angry, bitter, cynical. In other words, we're letting the world pour into the church instead of the church pouring out into the world. Is Jesus on the throne or not? Did he tell us how things work out or not? Book of Revelation. You read it? He wins. We win. Is he a God of hope or not? Where's hope, fellow Christians? If we look just like the unsettled, unstable, angry, alienated, hostile, cynical, disgusted world, then the world has put its mark on us and we have not put our mark on it. See what he's saying? Does this apply to us? You bet your bippy it does. It's God's word. It applies to us. It's a wake-up call for us. He said, verse 20, then, if you turn, Jeremiah, distinguish your worthless thoughts from those which are precious. precious. Cling to my precious words of truth. Remember my attributes and who I am. You do that. Then I will make you to this people a fortified wall of bronze. And though they fight against you, they'll not prevail over you. For I am with you to save you and deliver you, declares the Lord. So I will deliver you from the hand of the wicked. And I will redeem you from the grasp of the violent. And you know what God is doing there? Reconfirming his promise to Jeremiah when God called Jeremiah into ministry to begin with. These are the exact words God declared to Jeremiah in chapter 1, verses 18 and 19. What chapter are we in now? Fifteen chapters later, God says, My word is still, to you is still true. Jesus authored our salvation, but he's also the finisher of it. (laughs) Jeremiah, I inaugurated your ministry, and I will bring it to fruition. Lots of stuff happens in the middle. I told you the end from the beginning. Let the end play back on the present. Otherwise, you're letting the present reality become the ultimate reality. But it's not the ultimate reality because the present day is going to give way to a greater day. And I shall wipe away every tear from their eyes. Cry, weep, weeping prophet, now, in the parentheses. (laughs) But one day I bring it to an end and I'll wipe away every tear from their eyes. There no longer should be any mourning or crying or tears. The first things have passed away. I'll make all things new. Jeremiah 1 is repeated in Jeremiah 16. God says, uh, I will bring to completion the work which I began in you. I'm going to let God handle the world. I just want to bask in the reality of his hold on me so that when I go out into the world, I'm not overcome by it. Instead, I'm overcome by hope. I can never be let go. I'm in the hands of the Son. The Son's in the hand of the Father. He's got the whole world in His hands. Can I pronounce upon you a blessed hope? Romans fifteen thirteen. Now may the God of hope 
May the God of hope fill you. Fox News can't do it. CNN can't do it. The Houston Chronicle can't do it. So may the God of hope fill you with all joy. That's not happiness. Happiness is tied to circumstances. Joy is tied to ultimate realities that surpass the circumstances. May the God of hope fill you with all joy and peace. Shalom. How? In believing. What? Just generic stuff? Things will work out? No, 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 no. Joy in peace in believing everything that God has told us about himself, everything he has shown us throughout history. Has he not proven himself to be a deliverer? I don't mean just from the penalty of sin. I mean from the throes of life. Has he not brought us this far? Will he not? He who did not spare his own son, but delivered him up for us all, how will he not also with him freely give us all things? Come on. We don't have an abusive dad. We don't have a deceptive dad. We have a dad so big we don't understand his ways. He says, will you believe me even without an explanation? So may the God of hope fill you with all joy and peace in believing that you may abound in hope. Not dismay. Not Existential depression is a term coined by psychologists and sociologists. You're depressed over existence. Existential depression. Someone says, why are you depressed? I don't know. What is it that depresses you? Everything. Existence depresses you. It could. Me too. It did Jeremiah. You're not alone. Don't feel bad about yourself, but fight it. Don't take it. May the God of hope fill you with all joy and peace in believing that you may abound in hope by the power of his Holy Spirit. Jeremiah, take a step back to me. I'll do the rest. Son, daughter, You don't have the power. Take a step back to me. Turn independence on me. I'll give you joy and peace in the power of my Holy Spirit. I'm not worried about the world. I'm worried about me. Yeah. Worry about us. Jeremiah's always bringing the international scene to God's attention. God's always bringing you back to him. He said, I'll take care of the world. Where are you, Jeremiah, with me? Why does God do that? Because one of the means by which God's going to take care of the world is through us. Wow. Wow. He puts his name on guys like me. I'm called a Christian, a Christ one. Wow. So I walk around doom and gloom, hating. Look, listen to me. You don't support the president, don't vote for him next time but this thing of studying every movie makes and all this kind of stuff and knowing more about his speeches than the speeches of God in the Bible and this I, 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 you're going to be swallowed up like a shriveled up grape I didn't say do nothing the Bible says pray for those in positions of authority Best verse for the day. Proverbs 21.1. The king's heart is like channels of water in the hand of the Lord. He turns it, the king's heart, he turns it wherever he wishes. So we pray, oh God, 
turn the heart of a king, a president, a prime minister, a premier in the direction of your glory. Whether they cooperate or not, irrelevant. It's like channels of water. You can turn it. So we pray. Oh God, accomplish your grand and glorious purposes regardless who sits, of who sits on the throne. Otherwise, you're giving too much power to the one who sits on the throne. I want to bypass that one and go to the court of highest appeal, commander-in-chief. I didn't say do nothing. I just said use spiritual weaponry. You know what? We're using carnal weapons, anger, bitterness. Ooh, that'll really attract your neighbor to the faith. (laughs) A rabbi said to me, I don't like you. I didn't like him either. So he said, I don't like you. You don't seem to be worried enough about our people. That's what he told me. Thank you. I used to be. Now no longer am. Because I read our book. You should, Rabbi. We read the book. We know the outcome. I'm not taking my marching orders from the fluctuating stuff that happens in Washington, D.C., and Congress, and Houston, Texas government. All that. I, I'm not fine. Can I suggest something to you? Go on a news fast <laughs> and memorize scripture. You can stay away from the news, go back three weeks later. Nothing's changed. Now may the God of hope fill you with all joy and peace in believing that you may abound in hope by the power of his Holy Spirit. Lord Jesus, thank you for saving us from the penalty of sin, but we need to be saved from wrong thinking now. You're willing to do it, aren't you? It's part of the sanctification process. Perhaps, therefore, we need to repent just as you exhorted Jeremiah. Perhaps we need to get out of wrong thinking. Perhaps we need to distinguish that which is precious from that which is worthless. Your word of comfort and hope and consolations, that's precious. Everything else is rather worthless. I love your word. I'll never leave you or forsake you. Come to me, all who are weary and heavy laden. I'll give you rest. Do not be conformed to this world. Be transformed by the renewing of your mind. Be anxious for nothing but in everything by prayer. God Your word is filled with precious words of consolation. Make us to be experts on your demonstrated and declared character and less expert with regard to the ways of the world. This we pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Blessings to you. What a day to be alive. The battle lines are forming. Christ ones are being distinguished from those who ain't. What an opportunity to be living proof of a loving God to an unsettled and watching world. Have fun representing the Lord Jesus this week. Miss Linda. Thank you, Linda. This Linda. I shall pay you later. <laughs>